Let's now open the Word of God. Our scripture reading this morning comes from, first of all, Psalm 46. That will also be our text for the sermon. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters His voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's also turn to the New Testament to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, we'll read verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the God of peace, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's finally turn now to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21, we'll read verses 1 through 8, and then we'll pick up again in verse 22 and read through chapter 22, verse 5. So Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. 
And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Picking up then in verse 22, this is part of the vision of the new Jerusalem. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. As mentioned, the text to which we want to give our special attention is Psalm 46. I won't read uh, that text again now, as we will be working our way through it during the sermon, uh, but you will be helped by having your Bibles open to Psalm 46. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, one thing is clear, this is a psalm for troubled times. As I read through different commentaries uh, this past week preparing the sermon on this psalm, uh, the commentaries struggle to identify the historical context for the psalm. That's often a dangerous road to go down because if the psalm doesn't tell you when it was written, that's because you're not supposed to uh, try and identify a circumstance for it. Uh, But the commentary seemed to be convinced that this psalm was written at a great time of of victory, some time of when God had delivered this people. And so they speculate which victory that might have been. But as I read through the psalm, I wonder whether that assumption is correct. Uh, Everything in this psalm, except for perhaps the last verses of the psalm, everything seems to suggest that this psalm was written not after the trial was over, but rather before the trial had begun. That this psalm was written, as it were, on the eve of a very dark night, without any certainty of what would come afterwards. And it's a psalm of faith in God at a time when that faith is not yet sight. And you see this especially in the opening verses. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. You see the future tense there. We will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. 
So it's a psalm of faith in very troubled times. And for that reason, it's a psalm from which I hope we can also draw encouragement during these troubled times uh, as well, as we think about the sovereignty of God over all the nations. Now, the psalm easily divides into three parts. That's where the three points of the sermon also come from. Each of these parts end with this word, Selah. Uh, which we don't know exactly what it means, but it refers to some sort of pause or or musical interlude uh, that allows us to just stop and reflect on what has been said. When you're reading the psalm, maybe you notice that I did the same as as we read through it. Uh, The best way to translate sila is to stop and to wait and to pause and reflect uh, when, when we see that word in the psalm. Uh, And so that's what we want to do also this morning as we read through the psalm. We want to stop and reflect on each of these three parts. Well, the first part in verses 1 to 3, it paints a picture of a world that is falling apart. Uh, The language that's used here is familiar to us uh, from the Old Testament. If we know our Old Testament well, it's language that is almost always used to describe the, the fall or the destruction of a city or an empire. Uh, you read about this, for example, in Jeremiah chapter 4. I'll read a few verses there. It's talking about uh, the fall of Jerusalem at the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Jeremiah 4, verse 23. I looked on the earth, and behold, it was without form and void. You think back of Genesis 1. Uh, and to the heavens, and they had no light. I looked on the mountains, and behold, they were quaking, and all the hills moved to and fro. I looked, and behold, there was no man, and all the birds of the air had fled. I looked and behold, the fruitful land was a desert, and all its cities were laid in ruins before the Lord, before His fierce anger. And so when we read here of of mountains trembling or being thrown into the heart of the sea, uh, we should not think here uh, in literal terms uh, of literal mountains crumbling, uh, but of a world that is falling apart from the perspective of those who live within the city. Uh, This is the way the prophets spoke when they spoke of the fall of of a city, using creation language to to depict that which is most sure, most immovable, suddenly falling apart, crumbling, and collapsing. Uh, And and, and it's trying to paint a picture, uh, as best as human language can, of what it's like to see your world falling apart, uh, especially with a foreign army encroaching upon your city. Uh, Though the universe uh, may not be literally falling apart, uh, many of us are experiencing this very thing. It feels like the world is falling apart. Uh, Our lives, our families, uh, all of it is up in the air, uh, subject to the fate of whatever should come. And perhaps some of us have been feeling that same uh, fear and uncertainty in the last weeks as, as so much of our economy uh, has, has crumbled. Uh, so much of what we know as normal uh, suddenly grinds to a halt in the face of, of a threat that we don't yet know, uh, that we have not yet understood. Everything we've taken for granted as, as firm and immovable like the mountains uh, is suddenly uncertain. Well, the psalm here stands as a reminder for us that God's people have been through times like this before. You know, oftentimes in the news you you hear about people, they use the word unprecedented. We live in an unprecedented situation, Uh, and, and certainly it is for us, but it is not for God's people. They've been through these times before. 
And so we can imagine then the psalmist as he's looking out, as it were, on the wall of the city, looking out uh, to, to whatever may coming we might envision, for perhaps the armies of Assyria uh, coming on that city. Uh, and he's wondering, what are the next terrible days going to bring for us? Uh, and, and so the psalmist proclaims, in the face of that fear, he says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Well, that, brothers and sisters, is, is faith in the face of, of fear. Though we don't know what will come, nor do we know how it will affect our lives, what we do know is that God remains with us and promises to be our strength and our refuge. I had to take some time as I was reflecting on this psalm, and I just stopped and pondered, what does it mean for, for God to be our refuge and strength? What does that confession mean? Well, it means that we, we should know that whatever should come, whatever it may be, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not foreign armies at the walls of a city, not an economic collapse that threatens our livelihoods, not a virus that threatens our very lives. Uh, what, it, what this confession means is there is something more dear to us, more precious to us than any of these things, our, our economy or our, even our very lives. Uh, there is something more important to us that we would even be willing to lose whatever else we have in order to keep, and that is the presence and favor and love of our God. It is, as our confession in the Heidelberg Catechism says, it's belonging to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, by, but with body and soul in life and death, knowing that He's fully paid for all our sins and set us free from the power of the devil. Well, that's what the psalmist also means here when he stares death and uncertainty and upheaval in the face uh, and, and proclaims, God is still our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the mountains, uh, though the earth give way and the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. I really benefited much from John Calvin's commentary on this psalm. If you have it, I would encourage you to read it later. Uh, and he comments on this statement, we will not fear. Uh, and he comments that that doesn't mean we're not going to experience the, the emotions or the inclinations to fear. Uh, and it certainly doesn't mean that we, we treat this situation lightly. We don't, we don't laugh in the face of death. Uh, but it, it, what we're looking at here is faith in the face of fear, saying, though that fear comes upon us, we will not give in to that fear. We will entrust ourselves into the good hand of our God and for that reason be truly unafraid. And that's where the second section then of the psalm comes in, uh, in verses 4 to 7. Uh, in the midst of, of, of the turmoil and, and upheaval surrounding the city, the psalmist then turns inward, as it were, back into the city and reflects, uh, as he stares at the temple, uh, reflects on the comfort of God's presence within the city. Uh, verse 4, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. If you know your Old Testament well and your New Testament for that matter, you've seen this river before, haven't you? In fact, you can trace this river uh, as it flows, as it were, through the different chapters of Scripture, all the way from Genesis 2 in the Garden of Eden. Uh, in, the, in the middle of that garden, there's a river 
that flows out of it. Uh, and it, it's there in Genesis, and it goes all the way to, to Revelation 22. Uh, you, you may remember we saw it as well in our series in Kings. Uh, this was when the wicked king Ahaz uh, was faced with an invasion by the armies of Syria and the northern tribes of Israel. Uh, and in that, in that fear, he decides to turn to, to the mighty army of Assyria for help. And God sent him the prophet Isaiah to rebuke him. Uh, and, and he rebukes him in these words, you have, You've forsaken the gently flowing waters of Shaloah for the mighty and destructive river of Assyria. Uh, the picture there is of God's presence as a, as a gently flowing brook, a stream that always provides sufficient sustenance. Though it may not look like much in the eyes of the world, uh, yet it sustains God's people. Well, I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, but uh, certainly for me this past week, I'm all too familiar with the temptation to look to the mighty rivers of the help of man. Uh, I admit far too many times in this past week, uh, I found myself absorbed in the news cycles uh, or scrolling through social media or, or checking the stocks uh, on my phone, looking for comfort, looking for comfort, for some good news, uh, and every time coming away from that all the more discouraged and dismayed. And what is this? It's, it's trying to drink uh, from, that, from, from that water, that mighty river of the comfort of man. And it's like drinking salt water. The more you drink, the more thirsty, the more desperate, the more dismayed you become. Because you're looking in the wrong place for comfort. Just like with King Ahaz, God calls us to turn away from those mighty, turbulent, uncertain waters that cannot offer comfort and life and turn to the stream of living water. Turn off your social media. Uh, Set a limit for yourself uh, on how often you check the news uh, and then drink deeply of the Word of God and of the Spirit of God through prayer and then you will find that thirst satisfied and you will find life returning to your soul. Let the markets do what the markets will do. Uh, Maybe they will bounce back, maybe they won't, uh, but that's not the river from which we're going to find our sustenance. Uh, There is a river that whose streams make glad the city of God, and it isn't there. It's here in the church, in the presence of God and his people, as God gives us life and joy and faith in the face of affliction, fear, and yes, also loss. And God promises to continue his work. If you remember well, we, we, uh, we saw this river as well in Ezekiel 47. There the prophet has this vision of a stream flowing out from the temple, uh, beginning as just a small trickle, but then flowing out to the east towards the sea, growing deeper and deeper and deeper as it went, uh, and bringing life wherever it goes. Fish of all different species coming to life uh, in, into, in its waters and trees growing on its banks whose leaves are for the healing of, of the nations. Until finally that river reaches the sea itself. A picture of, of the nations, of the Gentiles. It reaches the sea uh, and turns that sea into fresh water bearing life. It's a vision of God's purpose, uh, God's long-term purposes for, for the nations. Uh, We saw that uh, as well this morning when we read from Revelation. That same stream is there again in the city of God. And and you see there the final fulfillment of God's purposes, God's salvation of the world with the nations ultimately in the long run being healed and God's glory filling the earth. 
Now, this, this psalm, of course, is a long time before that. But in the midst of the turmoil and upheaval of the world, the psalmist does stop uh, to reflect on this gently flowing stream, this, this picture of the presence and sustaining power of God, whose waters make glad the city of God. Whatever, whatever happens out there, and whatever consequences that might have for us here, living in the city of God, one thing is certain, God is still and always will be in our midst. And what's given there in picture form of a stream nourishing a city, uh, Scripture tells us is true of the church. Uh, What is the city of God? Where where the psalmist says God is in the midst of her. It isn't the city of Jerusalem. Uh, That's that's not the the ultimate point. It's not the earthly city. It is the church of God. Uh, Just as Augustine said, uh, the church father, uh, as, as his empire, Rome, was crumbling. And there too, the Christians felt the exact same fear and uncertainty we fear now. Uh, the, the church father Augustine wrote an entire book called The City of God, where he contrasted the cities and empires of man with the city in whose midst is the living God, which is the church. So understand this. When the psalmist uh, reminds us that God is in the midst of her, and therefore she shall not be moved, uh, he is speaking here of the church of God. Whatever should happen, whatever consequences that might have for us, for our work, for our livelihoods, know this, God is in the midst of us, and he will not permit his city to be moved. Whether it's persecution, as the Apostle Paul says, persecution or famine or sword, uh, or we might add plagues or pestilences, the words of Jesus must ring in our ears. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So there's a river that makes us glad. The presence and spirit of God among us. The God who does not forsake his city no matter what. Uh, and so the psalmist then, uh, seeing that river, or, or seeing the temple and reflecting on that, that river, uh, looks forward with confidence, even on, on the eve of what looks to be a very dark night. And he says, God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. What a picture of faith that is, when morning dawns. Whatever that morning is, is going to look like, and whatever the night is going to bring, there will be a morning again. Whether you and I are alive to be there, to see it, yet we know God will still be there. God's church will still be there, and God will continue His purposes. It's the same faith you find expressed in, in Psalm 30, verse 5. God's anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Uh, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. Uh, the psalm says, He utters His voice, the earth melts. But the Lord of hosts, Yahweh Sabaoth in, in the Hebrew, is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And you might hear echoes here, uh, maybe you're thinking this, it, you know, it's, I hear echoes of, of Martin Luther's famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress. Uh, and those echoes are not accidental. This was Martin Luther's favorite psalm in all the turmoil that he endured. Uh, and it's the psalm upon, his, uh, upon which his hymn was based. Uh, and it's a reminder the church has been through troubled times before. At the time that the hymn was written, Luther and the early reformers were faced with intense, even overwhelming opposition from every authority, uh, and Luther himself being hunted down with his life. Uh, And it's said of Luther that there were times during those dark and and dangerous periods of the early Reformation uh, when Luther was just terribly depressed and discouraged. 
but, but it said at such times he would turn to his, his friend and, and, and co-worker, Philip Melanchthon, and, and he'd put his arm around him and he'd say, Come, Philip, let's sing the 46th Psalm. That's faith in the face of fear. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And that's where the psalmist then inserts the second pause, to stop, to reflect on that, on that truth. Well, then the scene changes yet again. Uh, and the psalmist seems to turn, and, and then he's now looking back again at, out the walls of the city, out to the, 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 the world surrounding Jerusalem. Uh, and now he sees that world with the eyes of faith, uh, and, and he sees the hand of God ruling, still reigning over this world. In verse 8, he says, Come behold the works of the Lord. Do you hear the sovereignty of God there? Behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Well, we need to stop and recognize, brothers and sisters, that what we are seeing is the hand of God in our world. The God who says, stop, be still, and know that I am God to a world that has trusted in the strength of man, and a world that has set its hope on, on ever-advancing medical knowledge, to a world that, uh, where so many are chasing with all their might after, after economic success, after the, the idol of a growing economy, God breaks in at times and says, Stop, be still, and know that I am God. And maybe you've noticed it too. Never have I seen the, the streets of our cities so still, so quiet, everything shut down. And, and it's a terrifying thing. Uh, never have we seen, uh, the, at least in my lifetime, the, the markets collapse as we are seeing them now. It's a frightening thing to watch. But we in the church, in the city of God, need to recognize here the hand of God who breaks into the turmoil and the rage and the idolatry of the nations and says, be still. When we consider what's happening in our world, we need to recognize here that this is the just judgment of God, the God who has had enough of, of our idolatry. Uh, the virus that, that we are seeing and the economic destruction it brings with it uh, is only a small taste of the desolations that are described here in this psalm. And, and God may yet bring more to come. But however we, however we want to view that and whatever view we might have on, on our government's response to it, what we need to see here is the sovereign hand of God, the God who gives what is good, who gives what is right for His purposes. And, and this is His reminder that God is God, that we, for all our pretensions, are but men. And that's a warning that we in the church should take most seriously. It was an encouraging thing to see, at least south of our borders, uh, the President of the United States calling for a National Day of Prayer. It's sad that no, no such call was even voiced by the leaders of, of our nation. Uh, but even there, as I thought about that call, what was still missing in, in the call, even there in the States, uh, was where was the call to repentance? Uh, this is from the hand of God, a God who is rebuking us. Where is a call to repentance? And so let us in the city of God pray that, that, that the nations would hear God's voice and that God would use this to bring them to repentance. Beginning with China, the best thing that China could do right now is cease the persecution of God's church in her midst, release those who are in prison. 
in Iran, the best thing that the Iranians can do is cease with their bloodlust, with their hatred for, for the people of God, for their hatred of God himself. And here in the West, the best thing that we and, and our leaders can do in the face of this threat is repent of the grievous sin and evil that we have committed before him. Our, our sexual perversions that we put on, a, on display, uh, the idols of our money and our economy, and the sacrifices of hundreds of thousands of children through abortion that we as a nation have sacrificed to the very God that God himself is now breaking down our economy, our success. In my, in my personal uh, devotional reading uh, in the past week, uh, I just happened to have been reading through the book of Ezekiel. Uh, and there in the middle of that book, there are these prophecies against some of these surrounding nations. And, and one of those nations is the nation of Tyre. Uh, a nation that was famous for its amazing trade, its robust economy, uh, it, which was their pride and their joy as ships of all different nations came into the ports of Tyre and merchandise of all different kinds would be distributed through there. Uh, and the prophet Ezekiel uh, proclaims the destruction of the city of Tyre and, and speaks of how God is going to break that economy uh, and humble that nation. And he says why. This is Ezekiel 28. He says, Because in, in the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst. Well, that's a warning that we in the church in this country should hear. So let it not be our prayer on this day of prayer. Let it not be our prayer that God would just fix our idols. That God would just preserve our lives or, or support those who are fighting against this virus. Certainly we may pray that. Uh, nor, nor should it only be our prayer that God uh, would, would restore or preserve our economy. Our, our greatest prayer here should be that God would accomplish His purposes through this that He has ordained. Uh, that all of us in the church too would hear God's voice, Be still and know that I am God. If it is God's purpose uh, that through all of this, our economy should be utterly broken, uh, as, w- as may well turn out yet to be the case, uh, then do not despair, people of God. Accept that as coming from the hand of our good Father. Uh, certainly our nation has need of that kind of chastening, and undoubtedly that too will open up new doors for the gospel and for the kingdom of God. It will certainly mean hardship for us, but even so, receive it as from the hand of God who's working something good uh, through it for his kingdom. So there is in this last section of the psalm uh, not only a reminder of God's glory and God's power, uh, but also a reminder of God's judgment uh, and also then God's purposes beyond our circumstances, God's ultimate purposes for what he's doing. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He silences the nations. God is working for good, uh, and he exalts his name in the earth. So whatever comes of this virus, one thing is certain, God is still working it for good. And if we then have heard the voice of God to say, saying to us, be still. And if we as a church have remembered uh, in this time to drink of the streams of God's presence and not of the tumultuous rivers of this world, then we as the children of God can also, hearing God's voice, now then follow God's call in the midst of a world where mountains are plunging into the heart of the sea, where we can be his children in a world that needs the children of God. Uh, We can be those who do not give in to fear 
or to panic, uh, but instead show kindness and mercy and love, to give generously to those who are in need, uh, to reach out to our neighbors and extend the hope that they don't know, the hope that is grounded in God and in his goodness. In the very first months of this outbreak, back in, in January, uh, when it was still largely contained to the city of Wuhan uh, in China, and then that city went into lockdown, uh, one of the beautiful things that came out of that uh, was the way that the Chinese Christians there, many of them who had experienced intense opposition and hostility from their own neighbors, uh, during that lockdown, they took the opportunity to serve their, those very same neighbors, to make a meal for those who couldn't go to work and didn't have the money to buy food, to give comfort and help to those who were dying. Uh, In short, to show themselves in the midst of fear and panic, to show themselves the children of God. And it's something that's not new to the church. Uh, Christians have been doing this for a long time in the midst of plagues and pestilences. Uh, the historian Eusebius tells, of, uh, tells us of how uh, the Christians during the plague of Justinian, uh, which claimed millions of lives during the days of the Roman Empire, how as people were panicking and fleeing from the cities to the countryside, uh, the Christians stayed behind to minister to the sick and the dying, uh, those whom everyone else was avoiding and leaving to die alone. Well, brothers and sisters, now it's our turn to drink from the living waters of God, uh, to recite the the Lord's Days of the Catechism that we have learned uh, from our youth, uh, that that our only comfort is in Christ our Savior. Don't allow yourself to be pulled into the hope, uh, the hopeless hope uh, of of the world. Uh, Instead, look with the eyes of faith to God whose sovereign hand is behind this and who is working this for good. Amen.